edition of the Talking Space Podcast. I am Sawyer Rosenstein, and joining me are our usual panelists, Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Good evening, Sawyer. Good evening to you, Mark Ratterman. Welcome. Morning, Sawyer. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Excellent. All right. And Gina, if you can find some words, how are you doing? I'm fine. Thank you, Sawyer. All right, and also joining us now is a man who spent nearly 17 years with CNN as their chief science, aerospace, technology, and environment correspondent. Having covered John Glenn's return to flight and the STS-107 Columbia disaster, he left CNN in 2008, almost one year ago. Now he does the launch commentary on SpaceFlightNow.com with Leroy Chow and David Waters. Just recently, he started his own video podcast titled This Week in Space. Please welcome Mr. Miles O'Brien. Welcome. Hey, it's good to be with you, Sawyer. Real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for coming on. Now, I know just recently you started This Week in Space, which is a video podcast of what's going on, obviously, This Week in Space. And what exactly... Or so we hope, at least. That's the goal, anyhow. (laughs) (laughs) It's a deceptively simple title, if you think about it, but there's a lot to cover in the world of space, isn't there? Oh, plenty. Now, what made you actually decide to start the show? Well, you know, it's interesting. Uh, Of course, as you well know, a year ago, I left CNN, and I had been covering uh, space and science and aviation for them for upwards of 17 years. And how this all really got started was the first launch came up, STS-119, subsequent to my departure from CNN. And the notion of missing that launch and not being able to cover it and be a part of it as a journalist and help explain to others the excitement and uh, the interest I share uh, with them in space really um, kind of upset me. And so I started thinking about it and I started thinking about you know where I was heading with my uh, new chapter of my career. And so I called my friend Stephen Young, the founder of SpaceFlightNow.com, and I said, you know, you look at your website, Stephen, just the only thing you're missing there uh, is a live component, uh, live coverage of the launches and the missions. And I said, you know, when you really break it down, uh, the field has been leveled such that it doesn't really cost uh, the little guy any money to compete with the CNNs of the world. Uh, get yourself a Mac, a T1 connection, and a couple of DV cameras, and you are uh, pretty much equivalent to uh, a, a network uh, as far as capabilities for covering something like a shuttle launch. And so uh, with that very simple idea that I wanted to be a part of this, and, and Stephen said, well, do you think you could get some people to, to sponsor this for us? And so I called the people I knew at the various contractors that support the shuttle, um, Boeing and Lockheed Martin, the Coalition for Space Exploration, United Space Alliance, and I told them what we intended to do. We intended to do six solid hours of launch coverage, no commercial interruptions, 
and we would like them uh, to support it if they would be interested. And they all jumped at the opportunity. So I, I stumbled into a little business without really even knowing it, all because of, frankly, my selfish desire not to miss a launch. Wow. Well, uh, that's a very interesting way of doing it, huh? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, it's been it's been a great education for me. And so, you know, we went along and we've covered now, uh, I guess, four launches. And um, each time we've gotten a little bit better at what we do. And we have um, had continued and uh, sustained support from those sponsors, which is nice. And um, then, you know, we started thinking about, well, what else could we do now that we have we've kind of formed this team? Uh, of like-minded souls with a lot of enthusiasm. David Waters, who's a uh, uh, former uh, channel, local uh, reporter in uh, Orlando, Channel 13 there. Kate Tobin, who was my producer at CNN for nearly all those 17 years. And then, of course, Stephen. We said, okay, well, what else can we do that, um, since we've got this team together and we all uh, care about the same things and we've, we've come up, stumbled onto some ways to reach a community out there that's that's underserved, and that's where this notion of uh, a weekly show. As a matter of fact, Stephen said, you know, I've always wanted to do a weekly wrap-up of events in space, and it took each of us in the team about, you know, three seconds to say, great, let's do it. And so we just, we set a date, and we set a meeting, and we said, all right, let's just start building a show. And frankly, um, beyond that, it was just a matter of us, you know, carving out the time. I had to buy a green screen, which cost me 59 bucks. And I had to buy an uh, an app for my iPhone that uh, creates uh, teleprompters, so that I could. Uh, <laughs> and that that was our entire upfront cost for for this program. The rest was our time, uh, and there was a lot of time involved. And um, of course, the content was generated by NASA, or came from uh, some of the industry people that we were covering, or we just did Skype interviews for the interviews with Mike Griffin and Kim Bowersox and Leroy Chow. So. Uh, what we discovered is, you know, in this realm, there's enough content out there that's free and available that makes it very cost-effective for a small player to get involved. And what what we bring to the table is just some expertise, understanding, the ability to communicate these stories in, a, in an engaging way. And um, I think I think we might have hit on something that uh, occupies a space which, which where nobody is right now. That sounds great. Now. Have you experienced any time constraint difficulties? Because I know that um, you not only have it on spaceflightnow.com, but you also placed it on YouTube, which has a 10-minute limit. So has that been a problem with you when it comes to deciding what content to put in, what to exclude? Well, you know, it's no different than really, you know, putting together a rundown for CNN where you have to have commercials. And, you know, there's a, there's these uh, breaks that we call Q-tone breaks in the cable world where... Uh, the local cable entity comes on, and you, you have to hit those particular times, or else you get in big trouble with the um, local cable entities. And um, so, by by you know those standards, which which both Kate and I are very accustomed to, and and David for that matter, uh, coming up with three segments that fit inside a ten minute box was really not that difficult. Um, it, you know, ultimately, uh, it would be nice if we could. Um, carve out a, one of those partnership deals with uh, YouTube, and as time goes on, we'll start exploring that. But for us to arbitrarily put it into three uh, sub-10-minute um, acts was not a problem and actually helped us kind of, um, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you when you go to write a book or a play, you have, you have chapters, and it's kind of good to have a, a dividing point anyway. So uh, it wasn't difficult. Now, we, 
we started off with the idea of, well, we'll do, you know, 15 or 20 minutes. And it, it quickly became apparent that uh, we would fill that up uh, without much difficulty at all. And so we uh, decided to, uh, initially it was going to be two segments on YouTube, 20 minutes total. Uh, we decided to add that third, third segment once we kind of tallied up all the content we had. And we could have done more. We just didn't want to bite off uh, more than we could chew. And what we discovered, uh, the real problems, the real bottlenecks, the tall poles in the tent were on the back end with the, uh, the whole issue of rendering the program, compressing the program, and uploading. And that, that's where we learned some uh, difficult lessons about how long it takes to get these things together. Now, it was the first time, and I suspect next time we'll, we, we'll, uh, it'll be easier, but um, uh, it's, a, it's a different world, and you have to account for a lot of uh, time on the, the, the very tail end of the post-production, which uh, it, when you're in the uh, regular TV world is not usually an issue. All right. Now, uh, Gene, I think you had a question about the green screen because he was just mentioning that before. Um, how you doing, Miles? Gene McCulka here. Um, hey, what, hey, how are you? As a, alrighty there, my friend. Thanks for joining us today. Uh, what okay. plans ha- have you for the, the green screen in the future? Are you planning on, on leveraging that technology to take us other to other places, perhaps? Or uh, um, is it just well, right now to show the bridge of the Enterprise? <laughs> I, you know, I don't know. We, you know, we, we were just tweaking with it to make make sure it looked good. You know, I've been I've been fooling around with um, just doing web web kind of stuff in my uh, laundry room in my apartment. You know, and uh, so I thought, well, maybe we should do a green screen for this, to make it a little better. So, you know, it occurs to me I never got my opportunity to fly in the shuttle. Maybe I could this would be my way to go to space. I'll just do a green screen style. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I think you know. It provides a, it provides a lot of flexibility, and it's a, it's a nice it's a nice little technology to employ, and it, it does afford us the opportunity. You know, I'm on the road quite a bit, and um, if we if we need to uh, for whatever reason, if I'm in a hotel room somewhere and I need to shoot uh, the leads to the program, all I need to bring is uh, you know this collapsible green screen and a couple of stands for lights and the screen, and and I'm I'm totally mobile, so. It's uh, it's got a lot of uh, advantages. It's it sounds yeah it, it sounds like a, a good technology that can be leveraged. You can just go about uh, anywhere in the world uh, and or anywhere exactly. out there, and uh, yeah. and show us some things that uh, we probably don't normally get to see. The opening comment you had for for segment three in the show, um, we don't need no stinking network. I I love that one. <laughs> in fact, in fact, um, when I tweeted the link uh, for the show uh, off of YouTube, I uh, I I used that as my lead in, and then and you know used that. But um, what are the the advantages, in your opinion, of of not having a network behind you? And obviously, there's some disadvantages there. What what perhaps are those? Well, you know, of course, there's a tremendous, you know, uh, to have a platform like CNN, you know, it instantly gives you worldwide distribution, millions and millions of eyeballs, and there, there's not, you know, that that's a wonderful thing. The trade-off, of course, is, uh, number one, you're, you know, the, the content that you, um, you create is filtered through uh, uh, so many layers and so many, so many uh, people have their put their fingerprints on whatever you put on TV at, at CNN, that it, it loses a little bit of its soul, frankly. Uh, it loses a little bit of its personality. It gets committed, like anything that goes through a committee. It loses a lot of its uh, individual personality just by the nature uh, of that process. And then, of course, the, the other thing, which is, you know, this is the irony of working for a 24-hour cable news entity, uh, is that they're time-pressed. 
well, you know, how how can you have more than 24 hours to fill, right? And right. yet, there's all, there's a lot of people competing for that time to be able to to reach those millions of eyeballs, and so uh, so you're you're very limited on time. And you know, the coverage that I did of the space shuttle toward the end, in particular, was really boiled down to, frankly, uh, death watch coverage. They sent us down there on the chance that the thing might blow up, and they really didn't care what the mission was about, where they were going, what they were doing. They'd pop in, and, you know, if we got to a solid rocket booster separation, we were pretty happy. And sometimes if, you know, if the ET uh, camera looked good, they'd take it a little longer, might get us to Miko if we were lucky. But that's it. And so that, that's very frustrating for somebody who, uh, like me, who cares a lot about space and would like to get uh, a new generation of, of people uh, thinking about space and getting excited about it. You don't get people excited about it by doing that. And uh, because you, you're there only if it's going to blow up. Well, so what's the, what's the upside of that story, right? So, um, so that's very, in the end, that's a very frustrating thing. So to be in a, uh, a realm where you can control the content and the voice, and the voice is all mine, obviously. You know, obviously we went through and uh, copy-edited it. And, you know, I, was, I made some references. I like to call myself a space cadet. And Kay Tobin hates that, so I took that out. And uh, but I, I don't think of it as a pejorative. She does anyway. So we went so we we hammered out some some issues. But basically, it's a lot more of just me, and uh, that that's a privilege to be able to, uh, to to speak in your own voice that way. Um, how many people out there will see me doing that? I I, I don't know yet. Um, will it will it have the impact that CNN report does? It may it may have more impact in some ways because it. Um, it will connect with people in a, in a more real way than that two-minute death watch coverage does. Yeah, just just to let you know, too, the, uh, you're referring to the personality of it. The show definitely has a lot of that. That's for darn sure. I've, uh, I was watching it earlier this afternoon, and I was I was blown away. There was a, there was a lot of uh, the show is fast and loose and, and, and a heck of a lot of fun to watch. Um, on that, well, thank you. I appreciate that, Gene. Thank you. Yeah, really, it it is. Um, in in light of that, what exactly is the target audience for the show? Is is it uh, just the person who may, you know, you may be trying to to grab hold of and say, hey, it's, you know, this is this is fun stuff. You pay attention to it, or is it for the diehard, you know, space junkie who knows exactly how many bolts were in the Saturn V, or is it, or is, or are you trying to cater to both audiences? You know, I'd love to try to reach both if I could. You know, and, it, and that's a tough thing. That's like, you know, imagine a line down the middle of the road and you got a foot in both, both sides of it, right? And, um, and it's, I think it's possible to do it. I really do. Um, I think uh, the important thing is I think you can take people who are not as engaged in, in this endeavor as we are. I think you can take people into that world as long as you're constantly aware that they they're not coming to it with the lexicon they're not coming to it with the background on what the story's all about and if you spend a little time explaining the terms and reminding people what we're talking about in a way that you know you and i would say oh come on i know all that already uh, but you and i we, if we're watching something we like and it's engaging and it's interesting you're going to have the patience to go through that because you know you're going to get some some the red meat's going to be there for you. So I think you can do both. I really do. In other words, I think you can kind of you can kind of uh, bifurcate between the two audiences, and um, I hope. And uh, because I really think it's important that we need to uh, expand the tent. I, I you know the the, the space 
um, enthusiasts out there are, are great, and they have a fervor, and it's wonderful. But we need to get more people in this tent with us yeah, in order to, to preserve something we love. And um, so that's why I'm hopeful that I can uh, cater to both audiences. You know, so far, I don't know, you tell me. I, I mean, do you think we, we, did we, did we strike the right tone to get that? I think you did. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I've been following the space program since I shoot since I was five years old, and and I thought you guys hit hit the show out of the park. So, uh, I mean, wow. honestly, honestly, it was a fun show. It was a fun half hour to watch, and I will definitely be uh, be tuning in again. That's for darn sure. Um, we're well, hoping. The question is, I guess the the big question is, and you know, I showed it to my, you know, my my litmus test is my wife, who is not a space person at all. And she just kind of tolerates my my space <laughs> and was willing to sign off of me going on the shuttle if I could get on. And she watched it and she enjoyed it and she laughed and she appropriately and she said, "Wow, I didn't know that a few times." And I thought, "Okay, I think I think maybe we've done it. I think maybe we've done it." So we'll see. I mean, we got you know if we can if we can keep that in mind all along, I think we're going to um, succeed in ways that. Uh, you know, extent. You know, I, I consider myself a little bit on a mission here. You know, I really do uh, have a passion for this, which is separate from any, you know, profit we may or may not make on this. I, I think this is something that um, is is uh, really needs to be done because I think it, it's important for our country. Frankly, it's important for humanity to, to keep pushing this frontier. Yeah, you're you're sitting uh, with you know, virtually sitting anyway with a, with a group of people that feel the same way. So uh, you're among friends yeah. there. Hi, this is Gina Hurley. And as a media... Hey, Gina, how are you? Good. I'm doing great. It's great to talk to you. I've, I've watched you since I was a kid in the Boston market. And I've been a big fan of yours on CNN all along. And I'm a huge fan of the space program. And right now with my children, I sit there and I watch Space Flight now on my laptop. And I try to watch CNN for the launch on the on the big TV, so the kids get excited. And I've watched poor John Zarella there, barely able to squeak out two minutes of coverage for a launch. Mm-hmm. And I say, you know, what is wrong? Why have the networks abandoned space coverage? And I mean, I'm sure you've got thoughts on that, but really, do you see it ever coming back around um, to the the networks embracing what great work and Good stuff that NASA's doing here. I, I'm not wildly optimistic that the, that uh, the cable networks are ever going to come back around. I really don't. I think what you're seeing, you know, what you're seeing in the media world right now is this huge tectonic shift. And what what everybody's kind of the notion of of gathering up huge masses of eyeballs from um, generic kind of broad scope kind of content uh, is kind of um, going by the boards. Uh, it, it's, you know, it's like we all have RSS readers and we all tweet and basically we're all our own producers seeking out our own little pieces of a newscast. And we get it from very disparate locations. We don't need a producer at CNN Center to go out and get all these little disparate pieces because you may or may not be interested in all those little pieces they get and lay out in a linear fashion when you can go out and forage for that with technology uh, in ways that are just suit you perfectly. And so what, what that um, requires is um, a kind of media which is focused on the niches. And, and, and expertise is there 
it's serving uh, each little niche is is serving a smaller audience on its own right, and uh, the, the the users of that content are are gathering it up in their own way. So with that in mind, people like CNN are trying to find, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's, it's, it's like a, uh, a dive to the bottom, if you will, as they try to get those, that last vestige of an audience, that last mass audience. And so they're thinking constantly, what are the, what are the two or three or four stories which are going to gather up enough eyeballs for us keep this operation going, to keep us in this $800 million building on Columbus Circle and CNN Center and the 3,000 people we have all over the world, how do we keep that operation going? And so, the, frankly, what they're doing is they're appealing to, as you would, the lowest common denominator. That's why you see Michael Jackson, and that's why you see Balloon Boy, and that's why you see Tiger Woods, and all these stories which they would contend uh, you know, would, would bring in that larger group of eyeballs. Everything else doesn't matter so much. So I, I, I see this as a very fundamental shift. But what I've discovered is there is this, you know, there, there is this appetite out there. And, and now we have, with the way the, the playing field has been leveled, uh, these niche players, people like me who, who are into space, can find a way to connect with an audience. And the audience out there can create its own ability to gather up its content from the, the uh, people with the expertise that they admire, respect, whatever. And, and, and the result is actually I think people are going to be uh, really better informed, frankly, in the end. So I say, you know what, the, the, the patient is in intensive care, and uh, as far as I'm concerned, you can give it last rites when it comes to anything of consequence. You know, if you care about tabloid stuff, if you care about uh, inside the beltway, and I, I hate to say that because I, you know, I spent 17 years there and I love the place, and I wish that they still cared about all that stuff, but they are, um, it's, it's all uh, headed in, in, a, in, uh, in a direction that is uh, away from the things we like. Well said, I think. Um, you know, this podcast was sort of born out of that frustration, and it's certainly a passionate issue that I've had, is that the space coverage in the mainstream media is pathetic, for lack of a better word. I mean, we interviewed Tom Jones a couple weeks ago, and, you know, he was on Fox doing launches, and he barely gets 30 seconds out before they're showing a split screen of some other in the Beltway, you know, talking head show. So it's, it is a sad state of affairs, but I think your show is phenomenal, and I think it's definitely going to fill a niche that is out there. Well, uh, I appreciate that, Gina. Thank you. And thank, boy, thanks for watching way back in Boston. Jeez, uh, that was back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> I'm starting to feel old now. <laughs> hey, Miles, this is Mark Ratterman, and I've got a uh, question for you. If there was a uh, hopeful protege or two, any pointers for somebody that would like to be uh, part of your This Week in Space team? Well, we're looking for ideas. You know, we're th this is a pretty clean slate. We just kind of threw this on, and we didn't really have, uh, you know, where we go from here is is, uh, is a wide open playing field, and uh, you know how to reach us. And I, I'm I'm interested in story ideas. I'm interested in people who uh, want to share uh, tidbits about space, who have uh, uh, things to say about space. You know, we sort of got a tiger by the tail here. There's a lot to talk about right now, and it's a very 
a critical time, as you well know, and uh, it's not the time to be uh, undercovering something like this because I think, you know, the average person, sadly, doesn't really know that we're about to see the end of the shuttles and uh, uh, hasn't really thought all that through. And um, it's one of those things that one, one day they're going to wake up and we won't have the ability to go to space, and they'll, they're going to ask, what happened? Why didn't you tell me? And um, I think this is part of our responsibility right now is to, to yell from the mountaintops as much as we can, hey, people, this is something that we should be proud of, something we do better than anybody else in the world. And uh, we need to keep doing it. And, and shame on us if we walk away from this capability and all the, the expertise and, and the, the technology that is associated with that. You know, people say, oh, we can't afford it, which is just, you know, it's, it's just a, it's such a stupid statement. And um, we need to uh, make sure people understand that this is an investment in the future. That's my way of saying is, Please let us know what your ideas are. We're, we're, we're interested in, in, in all comers. Well, I appreciate that, and I think that's something that is, is going to get people's attention, the fact that, that the media does want to hear from the viewers. They want to hear from us, and uh, I appreciate that. Thank you. Speaking of which, in terms of getting to your viewers, like I know in your show you definitely try to make it funny, which is appreciated, such as uh, the MRO when it crashed, as you referred you asked if it was running on Vista. <laughs> got an interesting email from a guy at Microsoft on that one. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the, other, the other thing that's, uh, you know, it, it, liberating about being outside the network. I couldn't have gotten away with that on CNN, probably. <laughs> anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say that I know that, um, especially when you were on CNN, you definitely had to, for lack of a better term, dumb it down a little bit to try and get people to understand it better and do you think that you're doing it any less for this show since you are trying for a different audience or are you doing it maybe a little more so you can try and get more people interested well you know it kind of goes back to what i was saying before i think you can be uh, uh smart and accessible at the same time you can be knowledgeable and yet not uh, put a barrier up i think there are ways of doing that um, it, it's kind of like, I know this is going to sound strange, did, did you, ever, you ever watch the old uh, Bullwinkle shows? Um, this is, I'm dating myself a little bit, Bullwinkle and Rocky, but they, they had this, it, on one level it was a cartoon that was, it was, it was aimed very much at kids. And then there was a whole level of jokes at a higher level that, that the kids never got, but if you watch it as an adult, it's actually very funny, all these sly little references that kids don't get. So, there's a way of doing two tracks, I think, and uh, and I think you can you can be uh, true and faithful to your core audience, your your real, um, you know, uh, fervent believers, and yet not be uh, presenting a product that uh, somebody who is uh, uh, not as well versed would be turned off by. So, and, and you know, I, inevitably you're going to get people who are uh, hardcore space junkies, and we heard from quite a few, you know, a few, not quite a few, but a handful, who said, you know, that I was being um, too light and too too many jokes, and, uh, you know, why not be a little more serious about it? And, you know, I make no apologies for that, uh, frankly. Uh, first of all, that's just the way I am, and, and if you don't like me, there's plenty of other places you can get your, get your content from. I, I am totally content with that. Uh, secondly, I really believe that uh, that's that's the key to um, making people 
want want to understand space. I mean, when when you see those two spheres floating inside the space station, you know, you can talk about all this autonomous flying techniques that MIT wants to work on, which is very interesting. But, you know, I'm sorry, it looks like Harry Potter. It looks like Quidditch. You know, you got to say that. You got to say that. And that, that instantly brings in a whole different group of people who say, oh, I get that. That's kind of interesting. Oh, so they're doing something that's like Quidditch. Cool. And it, it doesn't take much to, I think, uh, straddle that line. Right. And definitely, in my opinion, uh, so far, you've straddled that line very well while keeping it entertaining yet informative at the same time. Well, thank you. Um, Miles, I see that you are the director of community outreach and green economics for NASA. That was an appointment you got in October. Can you explain a little bit about what you do in that role? Well, yeah, it's um, actually the, the official title is I am the uh, I'm on the NASA Advisory Council now. I am the uh, chairman of the committee on uh, education and public outreach. So that that uh, that's a full disclosure thing that I should I probably should mention that in my uh, uh, the uh, podcast and, and so forth because you know that that is where I come from. Obviously, I'm I'm working uh, on behalf of NASA. Charlie Bolton asked me to actually, frankly, he asked me to um, to head up uh, public affairs, and um, I I didn't want to. I was interested in all these other little projects I was doing, and so I didn't want to walk away from them. And so I, I but I wanted to contribute very much. I want to I want to help NASA through this time, particularly, and help them keep the public engaged. And so he he uh, asked me to head this committee. And so we're we're still in the you know early stages of gathering up the committee and so forth. But I've been giving a lot of you know a lot of my free advice to. Uh, Public Affairs Office and the Education Office, and to Charlie and uh, Lori uh, Garber, um, and um, you know, I think that there's, um, as I've told everybody there, that, that you know, I, I, you know, I'm 30 year TV journalist. I'm a guy who, who looks for stories, and when I look at NASA, I see a lot of great stories. I see a lot of great stories that aren't have never been told properly for various reasons. The media's too lazy to do it or doesn't want to do it or is too fixated on whatever it is, Tiger Woods. And, um, and frankly, you know, you have to, you have to be very honest about it. NASA has not done a very good job of, of getting those stories out and allowing the media to, to tell those stories in a, in a way that, um, that would engage the public. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity there to get the public more on board. And the beauty of NASA is you don't have to you don't have to spin up a story. There's no story to gin up. You know, think of all the people you meet from NASA, all the scientists and engineers and technicians. Have you ever met one that isn't passionate about what they do? They have tremendous energy and enthusiasm. And so we need to, we need to harness that energy a little more and, and get those stories out, allow these people. I think we need to take the reins off, uh, loosen up the reins, and let them do a little more social networking and engage people uh, on those levels. Um, you know, frankly, the, the old structure of public affairs, the way it's set up right now, um, makes it a big no-no for them to, to even be tweeting or whatever, and that's crazy. So we, there's a lot of ways that we just need to kind of open up the doors uh, to NASA and let, the, let, the, uh, let those stories just kind of emanate. And uh, I think when that happens, if we can get to, get to that point, uh, I think maybe maybe the American public will say, "Gosh, this really is worth 18 billion bucks a year," which is, after all, 
one-third the size of Bernie Madoff's Ponzi scheme. I mean, we're not talking about a huge amount of money here. All right. Now, you've had a very long and uh, amazing career so far, and I'm very glad for you that it's still going at this point. And up to now, up to now in 2009, 2010, if you could change anything at all or do anything different, would you? Yeah, I, I have a moment in time which uh, I uh, I have regretted um, immensely. You know, as you know, uh, I was, uh, when, when Columbia launched on her last flight, uh, I was um, slated to uh, fly on the shuttle, and of course that didn't happen. But um, one of the things that bothers me about that, <clears throat> that whole story the most is, uh, I knew about that foam hitting that the leading edge of that wing the day after the launch. And uh, I, um, I had talked to a few people who were in the, in the program who were expressing some concerns about that foam and what it might have done. And um, I did a, um, well, you know, number one, I, you know, I was working for a network that was uh, not exactly embracing space as, as the most important story in the world. So I didn't feel like they cared much about it. The, the other, what I did was I, I, I sent uh, uh, an email to, to the head of the uh, shuttle program at the time, Ron Dittimore, and I said, well, you know, what is the, what's the story with this foam? Is this a big deal? And uh, what I got back from him was, oh, no, it's nothing to worry about, nothing to worry about. And I let it drop. And... Um, I, I don't think I did a very good job as a reporter on that one. Now, you know, at a certain point, especially you're talking to a history major here, let's remember that. I'm not an engineer. Um, at a certain point, I have to rely on the expertise of people who I trust. It's just like any relationship between a reporter and their sources. You know, uh, at a certain point, you have to take at face value what people say, who is a trusted source, what the police say or what the prosecutor says or whatever the case may be. And in my case, it was the engineers and in this case, the head of the uh, space shuttle program who said, oh, no, we're looking at that and it's not a problem. And I took that at face value. And I really wish I had uh, uh, pushed that a little more because it, it, I looked at it and it just bothered me. I, I could see that, that, that piece of foam hitting and it didn't seem right to me. But I'm the history major, right? And the engineer tells me it's not a big deal, and I had asked around, and and so I let it go. I didn't do a story. And I wonder, to this day, I wonder if I had done a piece, if I had pushed to get that story on, if that might have prompted uh, the team to do something different. You know, it's it's uh, all of it is in 2020 hindsight now, and it's a, but it's a lesson uh, for all reporters anywhere to always ask another question, always take it one step further. If, if your gut tells you this isn't right, follow that instinct. Don't don't let uh, people in power, people who are supposed to know better, people who are the experts, dismiss things, and and don't take that necessarily at face value. So. It's a, it's a it's a lesson in journalism and and you know it I for a while it it, it bothered me and I had had real regret over it. Miles, I've got another uh, a last question for you. With what you've learned from talking with the NASA engineers, the managers, the techs, the contractors, where do you think NASA should go in the future? Well, NASA needs to get out of low Earth orbit. We know that, right? I mean, let's face it. Uh, we we've been going around in low Earth orbit for 30 years and. 
Uh, we've built this amazing space station, which is an engineering marvel, but it, it just hasn't really engaged people um, the way engineers get excited about it. Um, you know, let's face it, uh, you know, if you're six years old and you're walking down the street, you want to stop and look at a construction project, and that's fascinating to you. But by the time you get to be an adult, you walk right by that construction site. You're not that interested in, you know, exactly how the, the cranes are working and the steam shovels and so forth. And, and the fact is, Space Station is a construction project. What's interesting about it is the fact that two pieces, one built in, you know, uh, Alabama and the other one built in, in uh, outside of Moscow, can be uh, built uh, to incredible specifications and can meet each other for the first time in space and fit. You know, that, that's, that's an amazing thing. But you have to really kind of appreciate the, uh, the, the, the nuts and bolts, literally, the nuts and bolts of, of space to, to get enthused about that. What, what human beings uh, on a broader level, outside the engineering bubble, and outside our little bubble of people who understand all this, what they are interested in is seeing new worlds. They're interested, you know, it's a very fundamental human desire to see what's over the hill, what's over that next hill, what are, what's out there. And, and that's why anytime the slightest little thing happens to spirit or opportunity, people are immediately engaged and, or, or, or the notion that there might be, you know, lakes, you know, liquid bodies of water out there, perhaps, or, you know, whatever out in our solar system. All these things engage people because it, it triggers their sense of imagination and ultimately leads them to a very fundamental question of, you know, are we alone in this universe, which is a, really when you think about what NASA is doing, that's, that's it's such a, a, a question that should be at the core of what it's all about. So, you know, I think that, uh, you know, NASA needs to keep that in mind. NASA needs to be pushing the envelope uh, in some way, shape, or form and moving beyond low Earth orbit. Does that mean, you know, the devil, of course, is in the details. Does that mean going to the moon, setting up a colony, learning how to build things in space uh, and, setting, and living long term and then moving on to Mars? Maybe, but that, what worries me is that I'm afraid that could, become a, that could potentially become a dead end because it w will ultimately be harder. It will cost more than we think. And and is that really where we want to be? Or do we want to go, you know, uh, take a rocket and, and do a rendezvous with an asteroid? Would that be, would that be of more interest? Would that, would that engage people in a different way? Maybe so. Um, would, we, would we want to go to uh, one of the moons uh, of Mars? Once again, you know, that, that notion is all of a sudden, you know, people start, their, their minds, the synapses start firing in different ways than, than the, the, the shuttle ever did. You know, let's remember, they sold, they sold the shuttle as, you know, cheap, affordable, airliner-like access to space. It was sold as something no more exciting than watching airplanes take off from LaGuardia Airport. And so um, from, from the get-go, NASA was trying to make it seem mundane. And, uh, and, and so should we be surprised that the people uh, out there think it is mundane? Well, that's what we told them. And so we've got to get past that. We've got to get past that and tell people, look, this is about adventure. This is about taking risk. It is very risky. We need to talk about the risk in a candid way. We can't tell people it's not that it's safe, like we like there was for a time they tried to uh, uh, present the shuttle, and and I think if we can do all these things, tell people that it's a you know it's risky, b it's worthwhile, and c you know we are 
exploring things we've never seen before, uh, I, I think I, I think people will get it. And so it's really important for NASA to be there and not be in doing the same thing it's done for 30 years now, which is to, you know, be in low Earth orbit and, and circling around us, you know, no, no further um, above us than the distance between Boston and uh, New York. That, that, that doesn't do it. That does not engage people, unfortunately. I agree completely. And that's actually a very good point that you bring up there with how common it seems and the misperception of it. And hopefully on your show, you'll be able to change people's ideas of that and get them steering in the right direction. I hope so. We need to all keep going. We need to keep pushing it. All right. Now, if people want to actually go and see your show, where can they get it from? Well, it's on YouTube, of course. We're at the Space Flight Now um, channel, which we'd invite you to subscribe to. Uh, it's embedded on the Space Flight at spaceflightnow.com. You can see it. That's, that'll take you to uh, a Vimeo site, or you can watch it in the embed, and that is in a full half-hour form because it, we're not limited there. And it just hit iTunes. So you can download it onto your iPhone or iPod and, and watch it that way. So um, we are, and, and I also, if you go to milesobrien.com, that's my blog. We did a text and video version there. So we're trying to offer up as many storefronts and ways to consume this as possible. Because as you well know these days, that is, uh, that's the way you get people. You have to offer it across all kinds of platforms. We're working on getting Facebook going, but, you know, it's, it's just four of us and, like I say, we we have no money. We just spent we spent 150 bucks. So <laughs> it's been uh, it's amazing how far you can go with 150 bucks these days. All right. Well, thank you once well, may, again. May the force may, may, may the force be with us. Right. Let's let's uh, f- keep fighting the good fight. You guys. Amen to that. Amen to that. Indeed. Love the reference there, by the way. All right. So Miles O'Brien, thank you very much for joining us here on the Talking Space podcast. Your time was really appreciated and. We hope all of our listeners will go take a look at This Week in Space. Well, thank you for the plug. Thank you for the time. And uh, thank you for caring about uh, space and space exploration. And uh, uh, let's, uh, let's stay in touch and let's uh, keep reaching for the stars. All right. So thank you again, Miles. And thank you to our regulars for joining us and your great questions. Uh, Gene, thank you. It was a pleasure, Sawyer, as always. Thank you very much. No problem, Mark. Thank you as well. Great to be here and great to have our guest. Indeed. And Gina, great to have you with us as well and glad you made it through. Thank you, Sawyer, and a total honor to speak with Miles tonight. I think we all feel the same. So once again, thank you everybody for listening and be sure, don't forget, to follow us on Twitter at Talking Space and also at This Week in Space, which is the Twitter account for Miles O'Brien's show and keep checking it out. So, once again, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be where you are.